The reading today is taken from Acts 4, verses 1 to 31. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The Believer's Prayer on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Sally. Uh, good morning, everybody. A very warm welcome from me as well. My name is Adam. I'm vicar here at St. Jude's. You're very welcome with us, whether you're here in the building, whether you're joining us uh, online. Let's uh, just take a moment to pause uh, before we look at this passage, this great passage uh, together. Verse 8 says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit as he spoke. Verse 31 says they were all filled in that place with the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that it is here with us. Before we look at this passage, Lord, I pray again that you would refill each of us. Come by your Holy Spirit in this place. Help us to know tangibly that you are here. Amen. When are you leaving this job? The angry congregation member shouted at me down the phone. In about two weeks' time, I said as calmly as I could in response. Good, he shouted and hung up on me. Sadly, conflict is not just something that we see outside the boundaries of the church walls. I'm sure nothing like that would ever have happened or has happened here at St. Jude's. But perhaps you've witnessed conflict yourselves. Whether a bit like that true story uh, with me and that member of the congregation, it's over something relatively minor that was quickly resolved. Whether like the disciples in our passage today, it was about a gospel truth they were holding to. Whether it's about something deeply personal that takes years to resolve, perhaps still isn't resolved, all of us will experience conflict at some stage or another. And there's a great deal of conflict in Scripture and a great deal that we can learn from all of it. Perhaps most famously, the conflict between Paul and Barnabas a bit later in Acts. But I think this passage today can teach us something of how the early church dealt with conflict. And we're going to think about what they did before, during, and after. 
Now, our reading today follows on directly from our reading last week, uh, where Peter has just seen this man healed at the beautiful gate. If you weren't with us last week, do listen uh, to that sermon Neil preached last week. It was brilliant. I can highly recommend it to you. Do have a listen to it. It's online if you'd like to. Peter has just seen this man healed, and a crowd who have witnessed this have started to gather around, amazed by what they have just seen. And into this scene come the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. The captain of the temple guard was the high priest's right-hand man. It was his job to keep order uh, in the temple. And generally speaking, the Romans were very tolerant of the Jews, but when it came to public disorder, they were merciless. And so it was the captain's job, uh, whenever there was anything that may turn into public disorder, to go and quickly nip it in the bud and deal with it as soon as possible so it didn't get out of hand. This is why Peter and John are arrested so quickly at the beginning of our passage. Before they enter this scene, what do we know about? Well, as we read the end of chapter 3, we hear and read clearly they are speaking boldly and with confidence. And as they go into this conflict, they continue to speak with boldness and with confidence. Verse 8, as I say, says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't undervalue this. We read in our passage here that Annas and Caiaphas were both there. Both of these featured heavily in the trial of Jesus. And so Jesus' trial, all that had happened to him, would have been playing over in their minds. And yet still they speak with confidence and boldness. Why? When I uh, was 16, my mum and I moved to the Lake District, which, if you don't know, is where God spent the seventh day. And uh, when we moved to uh, Grangeover Sands, we were going to buy one house, and it fell through, and so we had to buy a house quite quickly. We bought this house. I think there's a picture of it. Uh, You might be able to see it in a moment. doesn't matter uh, if not. Uh, And because we were moving quite quickly, my mum had to get quite a cheap survey done to get it done quickly so we could move in. Those of you who've been fortunate enough to buy houses uh, will perhaps see where the error came uh, here now. Uh, In the survey, it said the heating needed replacing. No problem, we thought, we'll replace the heating. And the heating engineers came and removed the kitchen floor to get to the pipes and discovered that where the bricks of the walls ended, there was nothing below them. There were no foundations, really, to the house at all. Now, this house was on a street of almost identical houses. Uh, And bizarrely, the house to the left and the house to the right were absolutely fine, had got perfect foundations. When we had a more experienced and more more expensive surveyor come to the house to tell us what to do, he said that any stress, physical stress on the landscape, extreme weather, perhaps even a tremor of some sort, could end up with the house falling into the drive. Uh, My mum had to pay for the house to be underpinned. We lost a wall uh, in the process of that on the side of the house, and I spent most of my 16th year um, living in a static caravan in the Lake District as a result. What's really interesting is, as I say, the house to the left and the house to the right were fine. There was no discernible difference between any of the three houses. The only way you would have known this was a problem was if this high-stress situation was applied to the house. If the house was put under this stressful weather or a natural event, and then you would have seen it crumble. 
I'd like to suggest that for the disciples, this is a high-stress situation. It's a situation of high conflict. And yet, they don't show it. Why? Because they are solid in their foundations. Keeping with the theme of buildings for a moment, uh, Peter quotes Psalm 118. It's not the only time this psalm is quoted and used to reference Jesus. In our translation, in your Bibles, it's translated as the capstone of the building. In some translations, it's the cornerstone. It doesn't really matter. It's the uh, fundamental stone, the stone on which the rest of the structure rests. So the capstone at the top of an archway, the cornerstone on the corner of a building. Jesus is here saying again, is this capstone, this corner stone. Let's just think about this in terms of our own lives for a moment. What is it that we put our hope and our trust in? Is it our jobs? Is it our family life? Is it our homes? Is it our finances? I love being your vicar here. I'm fast learning that it is the best job in the Church of England. But if God were to tell me tomorrow morning, Adam, I've decided I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to go somewhere else and do something else. Uh, I'd be a bit annoyed because I quite like it here. But it wouldn't ruin or make my life fall apart. It's not the thing on which my uh, identity and my life is resting. Hopefully that is Jesus. And I think here we see that that is true of the disciples. They are able to speak boldly and with confidence because they know the one whom their lives is resting on. You may remember some uh, years ago, Justin Welby, our Archbishop, uh, appeared in the Daily Telegraph, um, and it was announced that the person he thought was his biological father was not, in fact, his biological father. There's the, the headline from that incident. This had the capacity, the ability to completely change his life, the way that he saw things. And yet the next day he released a statement, and it said this, there is no existential crisis, no resentment. My identity is as it was, founded in who I am in Christ. Amen, indeed. We will know what we are putting our foundations in, what we are putting our trust in, because when those things are at risk, when those things are threatened, we'll feel like our world is falling apart. Do we operate in the same way as these disciples? Or do we speak out of our identity in our jobs or our identity in society, our position, our title? Or do we speak out of who it is that Jesus says that we are? What about during the incident then in this passage here? What do we see them do? Well, quite simply, they bear testimony to what they have seen happen and they stick to the truth. Verses 9 and 10 is their response. They say, if we are called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom Christ raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Are we afraid to share testimony with one another? why we want to start doing it as part of our services together, to prepare us to be able to do it outside of this space with others uh, who perhaps don't yet know Jesus. A, few year, a couple of years ago, I was on a busy commuter tube in London, having visited a friend of mine at, uh, at rush hour. 
Uh, and I was sat on one side of the carriage, and on the far side of the carriage, I felt the Lord point me uh, or, or, or show me a gentleman that was sat on the other side. And I felt like the Lord asked me to go and speak to him and share something with him, both about my faith, but also specifically for him. And I would like to tell you that what I did was I went, okay, God, got up, walked over, sat down next to him and said, this is the word of the Lord, or at least I think this is what the Lord has said to you. I didn't. What I in fact did was I said, God, I don't really want to do that. Um, I'd really rather if, if you've got someone else to do that, please. And I spent the entire tube journey praying, God, will you get this message out of my head and please send it to somebody else? I don't want to do it. And all that happened was in rush hour on a busy commuter tube in London is that everyone else got off. And there was just in the end, in the last two stops, me and this gentleman sat on the tube. To the point at which I went, all right, I'll try. <laughs> and, and I went and I sat with him and I shared with him what I felt it was the Lord said. We need to be able to speak boldly and with confidence as we see the disciples doing, not just with ourselves, but outside in the world as well to those who don't yet know Jesus. But we also need to do the other thing that they do here, which is to stick to the truth and hold to the truth. They don't overemphasize, they don't elaborate, they simply state the truth. They offer unanswerable facts. What do we do in these circumstances when our faith is tested? Do we stick to the truth or do we try to bend it in some way in the name of compromise? There has always been conflict in the church and with the church over, over all of the generations. Whether that's about sexuality, whether it's about abortion, whether it's about finances, how we use them globally or how we use them personally whether it's about social care or homelessness, whether it's about immigration or the environment, there has always been this conflict. And sometimes the church has responded to the pressure of society by bending the truth of scripture to make it more palatable. Our series on Revelation a few months ago spoke about a number of the warnings that Christ gave to his church about doing this. Sadly, a number of times the church has bended its teaching, its practice in order to become more palatable. I think one of the reasons we don't see as much healing in God's church today is that about 200 years into the life of the church, as it became more secular, the church changed its teaching, it changed its practice to become more acceptable to society around it. I said when I preached on Revelation a few months ago that John Stott, longtime vicar of All Souls Langham Place was asked if he had a message for the church just before he died. And he said all of his reading of scripture uh, from the Old Testament through to Revelation could be summed up, he felt, in one message for the church in five words. Do not be like them. H.G. Wells put it like this. Problems arise for the church when the voice of our neighbors sound louder in our ears than the voice of God. Or Jesus himself says in John's gospel, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We're called to be distinguished not by what the world says, but by what God says. 
Justin Welby again did this about 10 years ago. You may remember when speaking about, out about the practices of companies like Wonga and various other payday loan companies. Now, it was a bit embarrassing at the time because it worked out that the Church of England had in fact invested money in Wonga, uh, which wasn't overly helpful. Uh, but what he said about them was true. And wh what went on to happen is a complete shake-up of that industry. Culture was saying, you can have whatever you want. It doesn't really matter whether or not you can afford it. You can have what you want. God says, no, you're called to be good stewards of the things with which I have provided you. Regardless of what it's about, we should be prepared to stand up for the truth and not to waver from it or to bend it in the hope of being an easier life or to have a bit of compromise. The disciples don't waver from their truth, from the truth in this story. They stick to it. They stick to their convictions. What about after the event then? Verse 23 says that the reason they were released was because the people were praising God as a result of this man's healing. And then they're released, and verse 24 uh, says that they turn to prayer. Verse 31 says they are again filled with the Holy Spirit in response to this prayer. What do we do when we face these conflict situations, when we face these stressful situations in our lives? What is it that we turn to? That conversation I told you at the start, a completely true conversation, it was one of many, sadly, very difficult conversations that I had in that particular role. Not usually directed at me, uh, uh, sorry, not, not usually about me, but usually directed at me, unfortunately. Uh, a friend of mine at the time told me that when he experienced difficult conversations like that, he would go to the cake shop and buy himself a big cream cake to reward himself for the stress that he'd just been put under. Now, I'm not sure I could afford the calories nor, in fact, the financial costs uh, for, for there were so many of those conversations at one point. But I wonder what it is that we turn to. Do we turn to chocolate or to wine or to something even more destructive? The disciples here have had arguably the most stressful experience of their lives, and yet they turn to prayer and to praise. And the result is that once again, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that I have struggled with, continue to struggle with. It's much easier to, to get a bar of chocolate as a result of a difficult conversation than it is perhaps to turn to my Bible or to worship. And we don't need to fall into a spiral of shame about this. But how much more prepared for these times would we be in the future if, at least on occasion, we turn to worship and prayer rather than Netflix and wine or whatever it may be? The reality is the disciples knew their foundation. They knew who they were before they went into this situation. They were solid in that foundation. They weren't afraid to bear witness and testimony to the truth and to hold wholeheartedly to it. And in response to God's faithfulness, they turned I've spoken for a little less time today than I might normally because I'd like us to do that together as well, to turn to praise of God. I've asked the band to prepare a couple of songs for us now. I wonder if you would stand with me as I pray for us before we uh, worship with the band. Lord God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for this story 
here that we've heard this morning. We thank you for the truth within us. We thank you for your power at work in Peter and in John. And we thank you that in response to this difficult situation, they turned to prayer and to praise. And that you once again filled them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, for the things that we place our trust in, the things that we place our hope in that are not you, we ask once again for your forgiveness. Once again, we lift our eyes to you as our hope, our foundation, our capstone, our cornerstone. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness and confidence like the disciples to speak your truth, not to water it down in the hope of being more acceptable, but to just know the truth that that will be the thing that sets each of your children free. And Lord, when these stressful and difficult times come, would you help us to reach out for you and to know you afresh at work in our lives. Build our lives, we pray, on you as our cap and cornerstone. As we worship, would you continue to minister to us in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.